Good afternoon. This is season or uh, episode three of our first season of Brightscape Presents. Um, today I have Michael, Eric, and myself, and we're continuing our alternatives talk. Um, this one's going to be specifically regarding reinsurance. Um, keep in mind that um, just for legal purposes, this is not uh, necessarily individual advice at all. This is just a an overview of what we are seeing and what we're utilizing with our current clients. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to actually pass it over to Michael. He's going to ask us questions like he did on the last episode. So Michael, go for it. Yeah. So um, if you guys to start it off, can you guys uh, briefly touch upon insurance linked securities? Sure. Let me jump in here. Um, insure, I mean, the alternative investment under the, <laughs> headline of insurance or reinsurance really is about what's called insurance linked securities, which are securities that give an investor who buys that security uh, the same risks as an insurance company would have. I.e., if you buy an insurance linked security, your return is based upon uh, the non-occurrence of a disaster and your risk is based upon the occurrence of a disaster. Can you name some of the larger reinsurance companies that people might be familiar with? Yeah. So I think the largest one is a company called Swiss Re. Another large one out of Europe is Munich Re. Um, Reinsurance companies are simply insurance companies that buy insurance from primary insurers. So... Uh, the listening audience will be familiar with a primary insurer. That would be Allstate or Nationwide or State Farm or company like that. When Allstate wants to write more insurance than their capital allows them to, what they will do is sell off some of their insurance risk to a reinsurer, which would allow them to then write additional insurance. I think something that needs to be said too is the history of insurance. It's one of it's probably the oldest business uh, that's been around. Um, you know, the Greeks and Romans started that insurance uh, on their boats that went across the Adriatic Sea, and then uh, reinsurance actually began in the Middle Ages. So this this idea has been around for centuries. Um, and also, Eric, didn't Swiss RE start in the 1920s? I'm off the top of my head. I don't know, but I'll take your word on it. <laughs> um, can you guys briefly uh, explain like the, some differences in uh, the risks of investing in ILS as opposed to the, some of the benefits? Yes. Um, as mentioned, the risk of investing in an insurance linked security is that you have a large insurable loss, as what happened in 2017 where there were a series of um, major hurricanes making landfall in the United States. Not only did we have the Gulf and Florida hurricanes, but we also had wildfires in California. And I believe there were some, there was an earthquake or some natural disaster in either Japan or New Zealand. But so the risk is that you have a large natural disaster, which creates uh a big insurable loss. Um, going off of that, can you explain to our listeners what a catastrophe bond is? Yes. A catastrophe bond is a bond that's issued by an insurance company 
whose payoff is linked to the non-occurrence of a hurricane. So the comparison between insurance-linked securities and a catastrophe bond is this. Insurance-linked securities cover a whole variety of perils or insurance risks. So an insurance-linked security, you'd be on the hook for not only hurricanes, but earthquakes, fires, uh, wildfires, um, typhoons. Also, also aviation, too. Yeah, like aviation. Mar marine. Right. Yeah. Whereas in a catastrophe bond, the only risk is a hurricane risk in the United States. So it's a much more narrow focus uh, risk. Hey, Eric, do, you know, the cap bond started uh, after Hurricane Andrew, right? In Florida. That's right. That's right. Because, um, because Hurricane Andrew created such a large insurance loss, insurance capital was depleted. Therefore, the insurers needed to replenish their capital from outside of their traditional method of getting capital, i.e. from their existing shareholders. So what they came up with was this idea was to sell bonds to third-party investors who would supply the additional capital that they need. Were you there during Hurricane Andrew? No, I, luckily oh. I, I missed that one. Okay. But uh, it was very, a very serious storm. And the, the Hurricane Andrew also was genesis for um, insurance companies, at least in the state of Florida, requesting rate increases that they didn't get and therefore leaving the state of Florida. So that really gets us into one of the other points that we wanted to talk about was, you know, what happens when there's a big insurance loss, like what happened in 217. So in 217, there were, as, as was mentioned, there were hurricanes and there were, there were wildfires, which created huge losses for uh, insurance companies and their reinsurers. So what's happened in 218 is that as the insurance contracts are renewed on a yearly basis, the premiums are being increased to a level to recoup those losses. What happened after Hurricane Andrew was that the insurance companies asked for rate increases and they did not get them. And therefore, uh, a fair number of insurance companies stopped writing hurricane insurance in the state of Florida. Um, compared to catastrophe bonds, can you further explain what quota shares are and like compare and I guess in a compare and contrast, can you tell what you would say the better investment would be? Right. So a quota share is simply a pro rata percentage of all the risks underwritten by a reinsurer. A quota share would give the investor exposure to hurricanes, windstorms, or, or which are windstorms, wildfires, earthquakes, uh, winter storms, typhoons, commercial aircraft, um, cybersecurity, event risk, and a whole host of risks that are underwritten by the insurance company. So a quota share is a very diversified portfolio of insurance risks. More generally speaking with in regards to ILS, what would you say an expected return on a given ILS would be? Well, it, traditionally, the um, it, return on equity for insurance companies is about 10 to 11%. 
because the insurance link securities put you in the shoe, put you in the shoes of the insurance companies, we would expect the returns before fees to be on the order of low single, low double digits or high single digits. Okay. So comparing that to the rest of the stock market, how does risk of analysis? Well, if you look at the long-term return on stocks, it's in the low double digits. So it's comparable to the long-term return that investors would expect to get in the stock market. Um, how would so? How would someone actually use an ILS in their portfolio with investment? Well, the benefit of using insurance-linked securities is that they have zero to negative correlation with their existing investments, um, be them stocks or bonds. I mean, as we like to say, or people, <laughs> business like to say. Um, Stock market crashes or recessions don't cause hurricanes. Hurricanes don't cause stock market crashes. So if you go back to the financial crisis in 08 and 09, um, the return on catastrophe bonds was positive. It was on the order, I would think, 7 or 8%, whereas the stock market in 08 lost on the order of 30 35%. So it, an, an insurance-linked security fits into an investor portfolio in that it adds diversification that does not exist with any conventional investments, and it adds a comparable return to the stock market, which lowers the overall portfolio risk. Let me just say one thing. Um, traditionally, uh, investment managers look to diversify a portfolio by investing in stocks outside of the United States, be them in, in Europe, Japan, or in emerging markets. 20 years ago, the correlation between those stocks and United States stocks was, very, was much lower than they exist today for a variety of reasons, be it the internet, the global economy, or the inner linkages that exist today that didn't exist 20 years ago, those correlations are much higher today. So the traditional means of diversifying a portfolio don't exist within the universe of traditional securities. What makes insurance-linked securities so interesting is the low correlation between their returns and the U.S. stock market which you can't get anywhere else using traditional securities. Hmm. I know you've, you've mentioned uh, natural disasters in regards to insurance linked securities. Um, what effect does global warming have on insurance linked securities? We can briefly touch on that. So I'll take this one because um, <clears throat> that question comes up quite a bit. So the idea of global warming, um, that's a, um, a trend over time. Um, insurance contracts or reinsurance contracts uh, dealing with this specific um, idea, they're only one-year contracts. Therefore, they, <clears throat> they take a look and for hurricanes, for instance, they're, they're writing all their hurricane insurance in May. They look at all these models and take measurements, take temperature for that upcoming year. It's not for a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. It's one year at a time. And as um, Eric mentioned before in 217, you know, they did have a substantial amount of problems with fires and hurricanes. And I think it was a typhoon. The, 
those things happen in 217. So the insurance companies come back and say, we want a 17% increase in our premiums in order for you to maintain your insurance to cover that and plus expected um, catastrophes this year. If it happens again, then they're going to do the same thing in 219. So they kind of uh, rebuild themselves every year. Um, and again, this this idea has been around for decades. So they have built in, they have uh, sustained themselves for hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, just to summarize what Scott said is that insurance contracts or annual contracts, each time the contract comes up for a renewal, the insurance company looks at all the data regarding the effects of global warming, whether it's the temperature of the North Atlantic, the wind shear coming across from tropical Africa across the Atlantic. And, you know, there's probably 10 different meteorological data points that they take into consideration when they price the contract. So if global warming uh, or, you know, is going to have an effect on the um, tropical hurricane season, that's reflected in the pricing for that year. So, yeah, yeah, global warming is definitely a factor in terms of how insurance companies price the risk. Okay, so besides natural, um, besides natural catastrophes and other weather-related incidents, are there any other risks that are covered by insurance lane securities? Yeah, I mean, as Scott mentioned, there's uh, commercial aircraft risk, there's mar maritime risk, there's um, event risk, which has to do with if a concert doesn't come off where people have paid lots of money to go see a concert, then that's insured. I think uh, even Taylor Swift's legs, right? Yeah. Something, something to that effect. So the, the other thing too, is all these that we're looking at specifically deal with property and casualty loss, not on the life side. Um, we, uh, this is specifically into the property and casualty piece. I mean, just to summarize that the um, natural disasters is by far the largest component of these risks, but there are additional risks outside of weather related events. Mm -hmm. um, and do you guys see the future of insurance like securities changing over the course of the next five or 10 years? Well, right now, there's a very limited uh, usage of insurance-linked securities in investor portfolios to the extent that they become more widely adopted, and that would change the nature of these securities <clears throat> in a client portfolio, whether that would drive up the price or, or, or change the risk profile remains to be seen. But right now, they're not widely used. So, and just to get an idea of uh, the market, I think the market's been around f since the mid nineties, right? So it started out about three or 5 billion. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but in 2017, it was at about a $65 billion reinsurance market. Let me just address one last item is, is the method for investing in insurance linked securities. And that has to uh, do with an interval fund. And an interval fund is simply a, an investment vehicle that restricts the uh, ability of an investor to buy or sell the fund, uh, not on a daily basis, but usually on a quarterly basis. So 
investors who do invest in insurance linked securities would have to be through an interval fund and investors would need to understand and accept that risk. We get asked the question, you know, why does it have to be through an interval fund? And the answer to that is because insurance companies cannot have investors demanding a redemption of their money uh, midway through the, in the middle of a year because the insurance capital is committed to underwrite these risks and it has to be there for a specific amount of time. So an interval fund is the um, method that was that is um, used for getting capital into a market where you need committed capital for a specific amount of time and you can't have um, you know daily redemptions. Well, great. I think, uh, Michael, again, did we answer all your questions? Everything is covered for mine. Um, Eric, do you want to summarize or I think we're pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, once again, uh, an insurance link security gives an investor the ability to step into the shoes of an insurance company and undertake the risk of the insurance company and hopefully reap the reward of an insurance company. The security, these, the, the insurance business has been around for hundreds of years. And at the end of the day, people have to realize that premiums are always greater than losses over time. All right. Well, that completes our um, episode three. Um, again, it was over reinsurance. If you have any questions or would like further information, please contact us. You can find us on our website, www.brightscape.com or email us at info at brightscape.com. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thanks.